Hey guys, I am the Construction Monk, and we are reading through the book Prostitute, subtitled Calling a Wayward Church Back to Christ. And this is chapter four, and chapter four is entitled God's Beauty to a Beast. Yeah, God's Beauty to a Beast. Okay, let's get into the chapter, shall we? Let me tell you a little something about myself. I love Disney movies. And I don't mean the other studio and film companies Disney owns and operates. I mean straight up made for kids Disney movies, right? And I especially love all the princess movies. Hey, no judging. (laughs) One of my favorites is Beauty and the Beast. A few years ago, my wife took me to see the live action version for my birthday when it was first released in the theaters. Man, I loved it. I laughed. I cried. I was still enraptured at the end when the beast turns back into a prince and dances with Belle in the grand ballroom, even though I already knew how it would end. It's just such a good story. And there's so many things I love about the story of Beauty and the Beast, but what I love most are the themes of the story. You know, Belle is this wild, strong-willed, intelligent dreamer who has bigger plans for herself than the simple-minded world around her. You know, I love that she doesn't just accept the social norms thrust upon her by society, but instead sets out on her own path to be her own person. That's cool. That's what eventually leads her to a wild adventure, to a castle, and a prince under a curse. And that's the other theme I really love, the theme of redemption. You probably know. The prince is this arrogant, self-centered, entitled debutante that thinks the whole world revolves around him until he meets an enchantress who curses him for his pride and shallow character. And to break the curse, he must learn how to love and give himself unselfishly to another. And he must do this before all the petals fall from a magic rose. Right? In the midst of the curse, he's offered a path of redemption. Belle embodies that redemption. Her love breaks through the beast's bitter heart and helps him learn how to love. And just at the last minute, as the last petal falls from the rose, redemption and love come to full fruition for both Belle and the beast. I love it. It's such a good story of redemption and the redeeming power of love. You know, it reminds me of Jesus and the church. The whole world lies under a curse, but it's the love of Jesus that breaks that curse. Jesus sacrificed himself fully to free us from the curse of sin. Sin is separation from God, right? And Jesus came to reunite us back to the Father. To do that, Jesus took on the sin of the whole world. Jesus was separated from God temporarily, so we would no longer have to be. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that which reconnects us back to God in a real practical and intimate way. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit that instigated the beginning of the church. It's what we call the day of Pentecost. You know, the word Pentecost means 50th. It comes from the Jewish festival of Shavuot, which was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. Jesus was crucified on the 
day of the Passover, right? And 50 days later, on Pentecost, the 12 disciples were still in hiding in an upper room waiting. Why were they waiting? Because Jesus told them to. And why did Jesus tell them to? He told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, right? In both books of Luke and Acts, we read an account of Jesus telling the 12 disciples to wait to proclaim the gospel message. This is what he told them. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's from Luke chapter 24, verses 48 through 49. And in the book of Acts, Luke wrote it this way. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Acts 1.8. That's cool, man. The, the, you know, the whole earth. Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to be witnesses across the whole earth, but not until you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? A few verses prior to Jesus' command to wait, he made it clear that his baptism is the Holy Spirit. All of the gospel accounts and the book of Acts record this statement about Jesus. And here's some references. Matthew 3, 11, Mark 1, 8, Luke 3, 16, John 1, 33, Acts 1, 5, Acts 11, 16. In every single gospel, it's John that makes this distinction between his baptism and that of Jesus, saying, I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that's from Mark 1, 8. But in Acts, Peter indicates that it was also a common saying of Jesus when he wrote, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that reference is from Acts eleven sixteen. You know, Peter made that statement in defense of his actions in front of Jewish believers in Jerusalem who were criticizing him for baptizing Gentiles into Jesus. He told them that since God had already baptized them with the Holy Spirit, he saw no reason not to baptize them with water. You know, he was saying, in essence, since God had accepted them by imparting the Holy Spirit, so should the Jewish Christians. And when Peter told them that, they changed their minds and said, well then, God has also granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. And that's from Acts eleven eighteen. This instance in Acts chapter 11 is called the Gentile Pentecost. It was the point at which Jewish Christians understood that Jesus' salvation was for everyone and not just the Jews. Woo, love it. In every instance, the first church was founded and grounded by a direct move of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was what set a person apart as a Christian. It was the central distinguishing act of what made someone a follower of Jesus. Baptism. Not just baptism, but baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Before Jesus, the Jews would baptize their converts with water. That was nothing new. That's why John baptized his converts in water also. That's also why he made the distinction between his baptism and that of Jesus. Just as John prepared the way for Jesus, Jesus prepared the way for the Holy Spirit. Jesus' mission on the earth was to make a way for every single person back to the Father. It wasn't just an eventual reunification with God after we die. There was a practical and present aspect to reunion with God. That practical aspect was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The idea of getting to heaven when we died was just a completion of that beginning act. 
We are meant to grow into heaven by growing into God through the Holy Spirit. Bam! Woo! Let me say that again, guys. We are meant to grow into heaven now by growing into the Holy Spirit now. Growing with the Holy Spirit now, right? The Holy Spirit is the power of God in the life of every believer to overcome the power of sin and death. Amen. In his second letter, Peter wrote that God's divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness so that we could become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. 2 Peter 1, 3-4. Listen, present tense, guys. God's divine power has granted us everything. That's even past tense. So that we could become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the sin of the world, right? Like, this is so active. It's for us right now. You see, Jesus knew that the first apostles couldn't start the church without the power of God through the Holy Spirit. That's why he told them to wait. Despite all the time they'd spent with Jesus, despite Jesus already having given the Great Commission to go into all the nations preaching the gospel, Jesus knew the apostles weren't ready until the power of God was upon them through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Part of the great commission of Jesus was to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's from Matthew 28, 19. You know, there are two parts to that commission, right? Discipleship and baptism. That's how Jesus did it. First, he walked with his disciples for three and a half years to show them what God was like. And then he baptized them in the Spirit to bring them back to God himself. And then he told them to repeat the process. This was the center of what the church was meant to be and to be about. The church was meant to be a place where those who were already reconnected to God could disciple others to the point of receiving God for themselves. None of that's possible without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is our God connection. Without the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer, the church couldn't be the church. It was this one thing that Satan needed to attack if he wanted his plan to succeed. His plan was to infiltrate the church in order to attack it from within, remember? His plan was to make the church subservient to him as much as possible. His plan was to replace God's version of power with his own. What's God's version of power, guys? God's version of power is the Holy Spirit. You know what Satan's version of power is? His version of power is a beast. Satan wanted to make the church subservient to him by replacing the power of the Holy Spirit with the power of a beast. Satan's plan was to make the bride of Christ commit adultery with another lover. Satan wanted to introduce God's beauty to a beast. Not to transform the beast into a beauty, but to transform the beauty into a beast. Satan wanted to turn the bride of Christ into a prostitute. He wanted to prostitute the church to his form of power. To do that, Satan hatched a plan. That plan was to mirror and counter God's plan. God's plan was baptism into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Satan's plan was one leader, one church, one truth. Bam. Did you hear it? (laughs) 
Did you catch the two paradigms, the two plans, and how they're different and how they're not, right? That's how we ended the chapter. God's plan is baptism into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Satan's plan is one leader, one church, one truth, right? Very similar, right? The church has one head, which is Christ. The church is one body of believers, right? Filled with one spirit, as Ephesians chapter 4 says. Like there's one Lord, one baptism, one Father God overall, one spirit, right? One, 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 one. But there's a difference, right? It's not just one of all these things. It's baptism into all these things. And look, guys, I don't know if you know, baptism is a transliteration of the word baptismo, which literally means immersion, right? So God's plan is to be immersed into the person of the Father, the person of the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit. This is like a full saturation. And like when you look up the word baptismo in the original language, which I think is Greek, like it has the connotation of someone who's drowned or a ship that's capsized and so and like completely sunk and so like there is this like complete saturation of the christian into life with god right in all these aspects it's not institutional right it's not program and theological and organizational and sterile it's relational right it's about us having a relationship with the father the son and the holy spirit Satan's plan is the opposite of relationship. It's institutional, right? Sometimes those things can look the same. You can be a part of a church and you can have good truth and you can be involved and you can be doing good works and you can be reading your Bible and you can have good knowledge. But it's not the same as having a real intimate relationship with God. This is what we're digging into, the difference between an institutional kind of approach to church and a relational approach, okay? All right. This has been The Construction Monk reading the book Prostitute, subtitled Calling a Wayward Church Back to Christ. And this chapter is chapter four, and it is entitled God's Beauty to a Beast. Thanks for listening, guys. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. Love you guys. See ya.